You hear that? It's the weekend calling. Just about there. It is time for another edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm Adam McNutt, alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. All right, and I'm I'm glad to be here, Adam. I almost lost my place there for some reason. But that happens, I guess it's because it's toward the end of the week and I'm ready (laughs) for the weekend. But anyway, uh, we're glad to be back with you, Adam and I, for yet another Speaking For Him podcast. You know, Adam, we are getting very close to episode 150. Wow. And I am just very excited about that. It's a great testament to God's faithfulness. But before we get there, uh, we still have some other great content for you. Um, today, um, we will be discussing the book Crazy Love. It is the third selection in the 2014-2015 Speaking for Him book club, which means very soon we will be announcing selections for next year. Time just flies by. Yes, it does. When you're having fun and when you're reading a good book. So, uh, again, uh, we have the privilege of welcoming in um, my good friend Naomi Van Harn to help us with this review, and we will get to our discussion very soon. But first, let's go to Adam for our quote of the day. The book you have in your hand, Crazy Love, may just be the most challenging book outside of God's Word we'll read this year. That is from Chris Tomlin. All right, and and when I read that in the in the uh, introduction, I was like, that's high praise. Um, <laughs> and then I started reading the book, <clears throat> and he was right. It was a very challenging book, very intense book. I didn't necessarily wholeheartedly agree with everything, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but it was very challenging, and I definitely felt Francis's heart and the reason why he wrote it. Um, we tend to be people of extremes and so we um kind of go extreme one way or another and i think he was addressing largely a culture um that has gone to the extreme in getting lazy in their faith and so he tried to write a book that combated that and as i said as we'll discuss going forward might have gotten a little uh gone a little more extreme than i would have in some areas but overall very well well written book and a needed book. And so I'm excited for this discussion. Welcome back to the show, Naomi. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> All right. Well, well, we'll start with an easy one. Um, as if any of these are easy. I don't know. I've never really asked Naomi off mic what she thinks of these questions. But here we go. <laughs> um, what are your initial thoughts about this book? Well, when I first saw the title... Uh, and ordered the book. I thought, oh, great, another kumbaya. Everybody <laughs> loves everybody um, kind of book. And then I started reading, like you said, the first chapter. And I thought, oh, no, this is not anything like what I was expecting. So don't judge a book by its cover. And you made a good choice, Andrew. Very as, good. As a matter of fact, um, the uh, like the day after I got it in the mail, I read the first couple of chapters. And I texted Naomi. And I said, you know, usually there's a pretty good break between the time that we start reading a book and the time we actually sit down and record a podcast. But I actually told Naomi, I said, we need to get in and record right away, like within the next couple of weeks so that we can be fresh mm-hmm. and know what we're talking about and have a lot to share because this is a very important book. So, and that doesn't happen. That's, that's the first time it's a book 
in our book club has struck me that way, but it definitely did. So that brings us here today, and uh, I hope that you enjoy um, the discussion going forward. And I just have to say the same thing. You know, it was, it was it's a very uh, short book in some ways, very easy read, but also a very hard read because it makes you take a hard look at where you are in your Christian faith, where you're lacking, and uh, where you can improve. And just put God back at the forefront of your thoughts in, in every area. You know, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3.17 that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, um, and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so that's really what this book is about in a nutshell. Um, and I'm just going to go through a couple of, uh, the observations I had about the early chapters won't necessarily do this for every chapter, although I did write some notes for every chapter, but, um, the first chapter, you know, you want to talk about something that stops you in your track. The first chapter is called stop praying. Mm -hmm. And when I first read the phrase, I was like, what? Stop praying. Prayer is prayer is the powerhouse. But then I realized that he was talking about something that I've actually contemplated a lot even before I read the book was the fact that God said, be still and know that I'm God. And sometimes in our devotion time, in our prayer time, we need to just sit still and listen to God and not just rifle through our, our wants and our needs and, and our even our intercessions for others, even though those are important, to just stop and consider who um, Jesus is. And admiring who he is and admiring his creation and not always be thinking about what we can get out of him. And then chapter two is also something that God has driven home to me. You might not finish this chapter, just the idea of the brevity of life, the way um, life ends too soon. You know, I've had three friends in the last few years and I know I bring this up often on the podcast, but it's because it had such a profound impact on me. I've had three friends uh, pass away in the last four years in either their late 20s or early 30s. And when that happens, A, you're like, why are they gone so soon? And B, I'm like, why am I still here? You know, there's always a little bit of guilt it may be false guilt, but it's still there. Like, why am I there? You know, I was just recently in a car accident at the similar location to where a friend of mine lost her life. And I'm like, I had a car accident in virtually the same place, same type of car accident, basically. And I lived, but you know, ultimately God knows the days of our lives and he has a plan. And I just, really felt that that was a mandate to keep going, to keep serving, to keep working hard, to keep producing high-quality podcasts, to encourage the saints, because that's why I'm here. That's what my life is about. And do I always hit the mark? No, but uh, I'm going to keep trying because God has been so gracious to me and given me so many good opportunities. Um, so do you have any thoughts on these first couple of chapters, Naomi? Uh, just he reminds you in the beginning, the first chapter of really 
do we have the perspective of who God really is? You know, he's almighty. He's, he's awesome. He's holy. And to come, when you come before him in prayer, do you have that mindset or is it, okay, I'm going to quick read my Bible, then I'm going to pray. And then what am I going to have for breakfast? You know, (laughs) and to just really take that time to, you know, really think about who I'm talking with and, um, and then also in chapter three, like you said, do we have the mindset that we might see Jesus today? And are we living as if we might see him today? Because we might. We don't. And, you know, my parents would always say, well, you, have, you know, you can go and do this Lord willing. Because they did recognize that we don't control every moment God does. Oh, absolutely. And, and the thing is, you do have to do planning. I mean, you can't live your life like tomorrow's not going to happen because then you're never prepared. Right. That's why that's why James says in his epistle, if the Lord wills, mm-hmm. we will do this or that. Uh, so you do plan for the future, but you do it with a mindset that the future could be changed. I definitely wasn't planning on spending um, the day and even the weeks following dealing with aspects of my car accident but God had a plan for that day of my life and he uh he brought it to pass you know whether it was the way I wanted it to be or not and I'm very thankful that I'm able to be here recording this podcast and continuing on um even after that and in these weeks since then I've realized that it's just a gift it's a gift to be here and what great timing for that book, too, because it just reinforces a lot of what I've been thinking about and God has convicted me about. So so that's um, <clears throat> that's really a, a good thing. And then uh, that, my next question is, what do you think is the biggest lesson in this book? Uh, if you were to try to boil it down, I know it might be difficult because there's a lot of lessons. I was going to say, it's quite... Uh, dense, but one thing that really struck me because I have boys, um, they're seven and nine, so they're still little, but my husband's been encouraging them on Sundays when we do our, you know, devotional time that they will read now a verse or two. And he talks more toward the end about raising and teaching disciples. And I thought that doesn't have to be out, outside my home. And to just really come alongside my husband and encourage our boys. Because in the beginning, it's, yes, you want them to get to know the Lord and be saved, but then to train them after that. And and that is so key, too, because, uh, you know, evangelism is important, but I don't think we realize the full power that would be in place if people lived out Christ and and led all of their children to Christ. Mm-hmm. Just, just that power, just how much, because 80% of the American population claims to have some sort of relationship with God. And yet the number of those who are really following Christ really trust him as savior is probably quite a bit lower. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be dogmatic about a number cause I don't know. And I, I that kind of leads me into, into one of the things that I thought was a little bit negative about this book is just, it seemed presumptive at times about um, <clears throat> saying that that um, 
many of you uh, reading this might not even be Christians, and it's possible. But it, it's also easy for us to misjudge the situation. I know I've done that plenty of times where I've thought, this person's not very deep. They must not have a real relationship with God. And then I get a chance to actually talk to them, and I realize they do. And so it can be very easy to categorize people um, by what you by what you perceive instead of really getting to know the real person. Mm -hmm. And it is hard for an author uh, to know how to approach some of these things because there is a lot of easy believism in our culture. And I know that's what he was trying to address. But if, but if there was one uh, negative, I would say that it kind of tends that way a little bit more than I would have appreciated. Mm -hmm. So, um, but to me, one of the biggest lessons is just to always be asking God what's next. You know, we can we can get busy in our lives, and we can start to say, well, I've got this under control. And then God uh, does things for us and sometimes to us to help us realize that he is the one that's in control. And it's going to happen the way he wants it to happen. Um, I may or may not have related this story in the past on the podcast, but I went on a youth group trip to Sault Ste. Marie, Canada in 1997. And we had a great weekend. And we went to church. And then uh, and right before we left, and before the, that church service ended, the preacher that was preaching that day, he prayed that we would have an opportunity to share Christ with others on our way back from Sault Ste. Marie. We ended up getting caught in a traffic jam five miles from the Mackinac Bridge. We went five miles in eight hours. Oh, my word. And we ended up basically in standstill traffic. But we ended up being able to go between the cars, passing out tracks, singing hymns, and sharing food with other people that were stranded on the street like us. So it wasn't in the way that we would have um, accepted or uh, the way that we would have wanted, but I'll never forget that prayer or the answer that God gave to it. And it was a huge faith builder for me. Mm-hmm. So just, just a little story from my personal life about how God works some of those things out. All right, Naomi, do you have a favorite story from the book? Um, I do like the chapter where he's sharing different life stories about people and the story about George Mueller, that little bit, I don't know if you remember, <laughs> um, but it really struck me because he, I never knew about his um, past before he began his ministry and he was an alcoholic and he was a gambler and then how him and his wife just totally gave themselves to the Lord and started up the orphanages, which everyone said would fail. And by the time they were done, they had five. And this was during the time that there were the poor houses, which if you've ever read about the poor houses, horrifying. Uh, so, but that whole chapter is just really encouraging. And it's just about people that are totally giving their lives to the Lord and asking like you, Andrew, like, how, how can I serve you? And doing it whether it was overseas or within their own home you know within their own community well and and there's a couple of things 
uh, even in that chapter where I was like, wait a second, this doesn't seem quite kosher because there was one story about a guy that had a toothache and mm. there was no dentist around. So he had to go out of his mission field to get it worked on. Well, he decided that because he didn't want anything like that to happen again, that he would have all of his teeth pulled mm. and have them give him dentures because he didn't want to be called off the mission field to um, to deal with that again. And I can see where you would admire that, but I kind of took issue with it because the Bible yeah. tells us to glorify God in our body and to take care of our bodies, which are the temple of the Holy Spirit, um, and to glorify God with our bodies because they are God's. They're God's property. And so... I just, I didn't really feel like that was a good use of God's property. Yeah. I can't be in his shoes and tell him what to do, but that, that story kind of just rubbed me the wrong way. And then another thing that, um, was kind of harsh was the chapter that he did chapter four, um, on profile of the lukewarm, which he made a lot of good points about being lukewarm. And he kind of makes the point of that, the lukewarm Christian is an oxymoron because in Revelation chapter three, when it talks about the lukewarm Christian, it talks about God wanting to spew you out of his mouth. And if you're his child, he's not going to want to spew you out of his mouth. So his hypothesis, and I kind of agree with it, is that uh, the Laodiceans and people that claim to be lukewarm Christians often are not Christians because if they were Christians, they would be persuaded not to be lukewarm. But some of the things he mentioned in there, while I agree with most of it, one of the things he mentions is, you know, lukewarm Christians say that it's not the love of money that's wrong, but or not not money that's wrong, but the love of money. And I often do say that. But the reason I bring that up often is because I know that there are wealthy people that love God that use their money to help others. Mm -hmm. And. There are also poor people that don't love God and wouldn't give you money if they had it. So it's not about the amount of money. Because if we start saying it's about an amount of money, then what's the right amount? How much is too much? When do you cross the line between, oh, yesterday you had you had the right amount, but now you have too much to be considered a good Christian? Mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it can be dangerous to to equate um, money or the lack of money as one being more spiritual than the other. And I just wanted to bring that up, not to disparage him because I understand the point, but to just underscore the point that the amount of money is not the important thing. It's what you do with it, and it's the heart that you have toward the resources that God has given you, whatever the amount is, whatever the way he chooses to give them to Mm -hmm. you. But it makes me think of, not that I agree with everything Rockefeller did, but he gave, uh, donate, donated pretty much his whole adult life. And toward the end of his life, that was pretty much, I mean, he built schools, he donated to all sorts of charities and started charities. And by the time he passed away, he had outgiven, um, I think it was Carnegie, who was also quite wealthy. So 
you know, and I often think like Abraham, he had quite a bit of uh, cattle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. this was not a poor man. Yeah. And, so. and I do think that there comes a point in the book because like there was a point in the book where I was in the early chapter, where I was kind of getting frustrated and then he kind of turned a corner and he said, well, I have to admit, you know, he started kind of admitting his failures and then I kind of started resonating with it a little bit more because it wasn't about this perfection. You might be discouraged if you're reading the book and you're just reading the early chapters. Like he's kind of trying to advocate for, for a sinless perfection or a perfection that we can't attain. But, but he's not doing that. What he's doing is he's setting the table and he's saying, okay, this is what we should aspire to. We know that we fall short, but if we keep our standards low, and we think that we hit our standards all the time, we're not going to grow. And Christians still sin, but we have an aspiration toward holiness. One thing that I often say is, I won't be sinless until I get to heaven, but I'm hoping that day by day I'm sinning less than I did the day before. So it's it's not a... So what what he's addressing that needs to change is a lifestyle of sin, a lifestyle that says sin is okay, that we that we can stay where we are and accept the status quo, because we we definitely shouldn't. And you know it's kind of interesting because that's actually the very reason why I started speaking for him, because I don't want people to accept the status quo. Um, I see so many areas where the church has allowed the world. Um, to dictate a lot of what they do, or they say this is okay, um, but we're not we're not really giving the world a difference, having the world look at us and see a difference. Mm-hmm. So I definitely do resonate with a lot of what he's written here, and I do appreciate it. So I'd still recommend that you read the book. Um. And there's a lot here. We're not going to go through a whole synopsis of every chapter. Um, But was there any other thing that particularly stood out to you? Uh, Yes. The the chapter, it was actually chapter 5, where he talks about biblically thinking for ourselves. Reading the Bible and really looking at it and saying what is God saying and to study it because one thing um, my husband and I visited a lot of churches for a while we were moving around so then you're always looking for a local church and one thing we noticed was that very few people brought their Bibles to church and the you know they would put the verses on the screen and not that that's bad but um one thing that the Puritans really emphasized was that everyone know how to read so that they could read their own Bible because they had left England where the only time they heard the reading was from the pulpit. They couldn't go home until uh, King James came and was like, I want everybody to be able to read the Bible. <laughs> um, and so I think it's sad because we saw so many times where... Um, the emphasis of the meeting together was the music, and not that there's a you know I love music, but um, 
And then afterwards, you know, you're trying to get to know these people and they would be polite and that's where it would end. And he does talk about that. Like, are we reaching out to one another in love and treating one another as the New Testament church, which truly cares for one another? And I think it's kind of neat because he talks about the, uh, you know, growth of their church and how they end up basically meeting in homes and I just thought that was kind of neat because that's kind of how our families met was our families were meeting in a school on Sundays because we didn't have a building and they didn't want to. That wasn't their priority. And not that having a building is bad. I mean, um, we did go like the Holland Gospel where you speak very often. Mm -hmm. But I remember talking to my husband while reading this book and I said, you know, when did I remember going to churches that were so old, the electrical was on the outside. And, you know, the plumbing and everything. And I said, when did the focus go from gathering together as, you know, believers and worshiping to all the fancy, um, I mean, we had been to churches where they were saying, you know, if you can please donate extra this week because we need to pay one of our bills, it's thousands of dollars for one edition. And so, and he addresses that, like, where we're supposed to be giving to those in need. And so I probably offended a whole bunch of people, but that was the part that my husband and I have been really praying about, and it really spoke to me. No, and really, that's one actually one of the things that I write about in, in my book, Men of Valor, which is available on Amazon as an ebook. So if you have a Kindle, or even if you have a PC or a Mac and you can download the Kindle app, you can purchase... Uh, my book, there's a link um, at the bottom of every blog post that I do for, for the podcast. Not every single blog post, but the ones I do for the podcast. There's a link for that book. One of the things that I, that I, one of the points that I make is that churches have gone from being about the people in the church to being about programs. Mm -hmm. And uh, programs aren't bad. But when we become program focused instead of people focused, we lose the the uh, true meaning of the church. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I, I, like I said, I especially really started to like the book again or, or feel more, feel uh, more encouraged about the book toward the second half and just some of these chapter titles. We won't go into too much detail, but the chapter titles of When You're in Love, Your Best Life Later, The Profile of the Obsessed, um, all these chapters are really good and they're really convicting. You know, he talks about his, his mother-in-law and how she showed, um, a, uh, devotion to God like no one else he'd ever met. And, uh, and it was, it was really convicting. Do, do you and I have that kind of love for God? And the reality is that we can't love other people the way God wants us to love them unless we love God first. Our love for other people, uh, true love for them, can only come out of the love that God has given to us. And love is one of the most misunderstood um, things in Western culture. Um, but I know that for me, when I 
say when I say to someone I love you and I do and I do use the word a lot but I do it because I mean it and I also do it because I know that we're not promised tomorrow and I want the people in my life to know how much I care about them so I don't use it flippantly although I do use it frequently and there is a difference mm-hmm. so I would I would encourage you out there use it frequently but just make sure that you're checking your motives and your heart so that when you're using it frequently, you're not also using it flippantly. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, I have on here to kind of discuss the most surprising thing about the book. Um, I think there, there were a couple things that surprised me. Um, his story about how he... Um, decided to buy a um, smaller house so that he would have more resources to give to others. That was a pretty um, bold move, you know, about working overseas and then coming back to the States and, and, um, and working in the inner city of San Francisco that was another, that's another thing that's tough though. Cause I, I was talking to my dad about this the other day about wanting to reach out to the homeless. And yes, I believe that we should give to those who don't have, but there's also one of the challenges in Western culture is to be giving to people without being an enabler. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you know, there's a difference between someone that you're giving and legitimately helping and then someone that's going to have their hand out every single day because they just expect you to give. Mm-hmm. And I've dealt with both of those type of people in working with the homeless community. And, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is to be an enabler to someone's addiction. But you also don't want to turn a blind eye to their needs either. So it can be a challenge. And But I was definitely challenged to... Um, to evaluate my giving and to pray um, for people to give to. I thought it was kind of interesting. One of the stories he relates in the book where he talks about deciding to go to the store to buy groceries for people in need and then feeling that he didn't have anybody to give them to because everybody that he knew had enough and then realizing that he needed to broaden his scope to include people that didn't have as much as as he had. And I I could tell you some interesting stories about the way God has has led me to give. I'm not going to because this isn't about me. It's about God. And I've already related several stories and I could go on and on and start rambling. But the point being that uh, ask God for specific opportunities to serve him and he will open doors Mm -hmm. you know i never would have thought four years ago that i'd be doing a weekly podcast even though it's something that's been great and i couldn't ask for a better opportunity better people to work with um better support from this local radio station here i wouldn't have thought about it four or five years ago but it's where god put me because I was willing to submit to him and trust him to 
build my ministry and some exciting things are coming up and uh it wouldn't be possible without him he's the one the one that's done it all so and um i'm trying to think of a good way to uh wrap this up because we could this is a good conversation we could continue um to have it for a long time but uh why don't we just wrap it up with this one? Naomi, why do you think, if you were to summarize in uh, just a few words, and I know you hate it when I do this to you, <laughs> but why should people read this book? Well, as you said, uh, it does have a lot of, a lot of the chapters offer some really challenging um, perspectives on things. And like you, there were some things that I didn't always agree with. Um, I think that... I know my grandparents, I'll tell this really quick. My grandparents, when my dad and my his brothers and sisters were little, went over to Korea because they felt that God wanted them on the mission field. Uh, they were there, I think, for a year. They came home and they said, now is not the time. We need to raise our children. And so they did. They raised their children and they did go back uh, to the mission field. And some of their children were able to go with them, some of their grandchildren, including myself. So... I think sometimes when we have callings for God, that may not be at that very moment. And so, like you, Andrew, your mom, I was listening to the podcast, and she said that when you were little, you'd play with, you'd record yourself and stuff. So God was, at that time, like preparing you. And um, I think there's things in this book that will help you kind of think, um, you know, to be more open. And I know for me it was, if I feel called in a way to do something to not be so afraid god's in control yeah and and i think one of my tendencies when i would read biographies of great christians too and and books by great christians is as a teenager and in my early 20s i would often absorb kind of absorb their callings i'd be like i gotta do that because because they did it and god did so many amazing (laughs) things and then the next thing would come along and i'm like i gotta do this because they did it and, right. they, and so many amazing things happen, but it's not, you know, other people can't project their callings on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I cannot project our callings on other people. What we can do is do what God has called us to do to the best of our ability and then allow other people to come alongside us doing what they do best and then the body of Christ functions properly, you know. He he even says, he says, you might be called to another place. You might be called to stay where you are and minister to people there. It's not about location <clears throat> or one calling being above another. But it, but it is about giving wholehearted <clears throat> attention to the callings that God has given to us. And um, also, it's it's just kind of interesting how people work behind the scenes. They don't get as much credit as the people that are vocal, but they still are important. You know, <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to do this podcast without the support of so many people that you never hear or that you hear very little from on the podcast. There's a whole management uh, team here at the radio station that is behind me 
uh, that believes in what I'm doing and they allow me to have the space. My mom or my sisters or my brother drive me. Um, my brother and another friend are uh, driving me on a trip this summer. You know, all all these people, and of course, you know, Adam, as you hear at the end of every episode, is my co-host and my executive producer. All these people work together to make Speaking for Him happen, and I'm very grateful for each and every one of them. And um, because I got to tell you this, Adam, this is a great podcast to tell you this, and I may repeat it again in a few weeks when we do our 150th. I was telling my mom the other day, I said, it's worth the drive to the studio because I, I do have a pretty long haul. Yeah, you do. But it's worth the drive because I think if I was just sitting on my computer trying to come up with a podcast every week that I probably would have flamed out a long time ago. But because I get to work with people like you and like Naomi and other people who keep me accountable for the work that I'm doing, I keep it energized. And sometimes I get re-energized when the necessity hits. You know, sometimes when it's like Wednesday or Thursday of the week before we record and I don't have my two shows worked out, and I'm like, Adam's going to be wondering in a little while where the, where the show notes are. Lord, please show me what we're doing this, this week. And often I have a plan or at least a vague idea, but sometimes it actually does happen that way where God will be like, will we'll bring a movie to my mind or a topic or, and I'm starting to get more feedback from the listeners, which as I've said many times on this podcast, I really want and desire to have as much feedback from listeners as possible and i'm thankful uh for everyone that uh uh that gives it and uh i want to thank my friend amy for suggesting that we read crazy love i hope that you enjoyed our discussion amy and i would definitely like to hear your feedback on this episode i would say your last name but i don't want to butcher it so (laughs) i'm just going to leave that alone but uh you will know who you are because I'll make sure that I uh, send you the link to this episode. All right. Well, I think um, that about wraps up our discussion, unless you had any final thoughts, Naomi. Just, I would really encourage people to join in Andrew's book club. I know that, thanks to you, Andrew, I have read some books that I would have never picked up. So I just want to say thank you, because it's been fun. And we're opening, uh, you know, we're open to new suggestions Um, we, I think I have a couple finalized for next year, but still a couple more. Um, I think we're still looking for a Christian growth title and a classic fiction title, um, for next year. And then the following year, if the Lord continues to bless this ministry and we're still doing this, I may change the categories up a little bit. Um, been thinking about some other things, so we'll have to see what happens. But before we go, very briefly, I just want to let you know that our next book club selection um, is 828, and it's kind of a weird book title, but it's by Ian and Larissa Miller. I think it's Miller. Um, And uh, they are a couple where he was in a traumatic accident while they were dating, and uh, she... After many months of rehab that he had, she went ahead and married him anyway. Uh, He's permanently disabled. He's unable to hold a job. 
but she, uh, you know, I, we played an updated um, video of, or, or I posted an updated video of their story in the blog where we announced these books. And she is, God has given her a great joy to be his wife. And she's a great testimony um, to what love means, that it's not about what I want or putting myself first. It's about putting the other person first and being Jesus to them in the relationship. And so I think you're really going to enjoy um, that book. And we'll be, we'll be back in a few weeks um, for that. But until then, this is Andrew Gomison with the Speaking for Him podcast saying, uh, have a great weekend and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.